0: If you will remain standing out of reverence for God's word, hear the word of the Lord. One verse, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. This after five days of amazing, powerful, glorious creation of all that we know in this world, at the end of the sixth of the day in verse 31, we read, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So you heard Dr. Peebles share at the beginning today's theme is creation. Uh, Josh and his team have so beautifully brought us through That theme in our worship. And when I think about creation as this verse directs us and as the new catechism speaks, I think about new, fresh babies. What is it about babies that just make even the hardest of hearts, the the hardest person to go, oh, I mean, can you really help but smile when you're in the presence of a new baby? Uh, Tanner Fox and Ashley, we're, we're excited. April 9th, is it? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, we know this is technically your baby, but this is all of our baby. And we, we get to, oh, Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Well, our neighbors across the street, they're about 30-ish. They just had their first baby, Dominic quite the name for a little one. And oh, we, we just go over and look at Dominic and we just all our other neighbors on either side of them and next to us. And we all just, ah, we kind of fight with one another as to who gets to babysit. The other night they texted, oh, we need a, a little relief and a date night. And we're all on text trying our best to, to step in. Now, when Dominic's two years old, not so much. But right now, you know, the, oh, the babies are so fresh. Well, um, when my first child was born, Alexandra, we, ex- we knew we were going to have a little girl, and we thought we were going to have a little Jody. And if you know Jody, she is uh, lean and a brunette and brown eyes. And so we thought we were gonna get this little tiny Jody, a little skinny baby with brown hair and brown eyes. Well, God gave us absolute perfection in Alexandra and she was not a little Jody. (laughs) Alexandra came out pink and plump and blue eyes, and look at that hair, friends. See, you just did it. You just did it. You just all went, oh. She came out not with blonde hair, but platinum hair. People, I'm serious. It was platinum. Yes, lower the light so you can really get the glimmer. We had nurses, I kid you not. Now, a lot of times we stretch things up here, I promise you. We had med techs. Women from the cafeteria were coming to our room, and they'd, can, can I please see the platinum baby? Word has spread about the platinum baby. Well, my platinum baby is going to start driving in about 2 weeks. So, watch out for the chrome. <laughs> well, you know, I think the thing about babies is that, that they're so innocent. That they're so pure. They're uncorrupted. They're not worn down by all the things in life that we're us down. And so when we gaze upon a fresh little new baby, we get to hold them. We're reminded of our own innocent origin. And maybe we're reminded too of all those moments in life, like when you weren't picked by the other team or any team to play kickball, Or when teenagers gossiped and had cliques that you realized you weren't a part of. Maybe that scholarship didn't go through. Or that dream fell apart. Maybe that marriage that didn't make it or that marriage that died on the vine. That firing and termination that happened at work that was so unjust. That spouse that died all too soon. That word from the doctor. You have cancer. Life is tough. Life is hard. And we long for. The innocence and the freshness. And the beauty. Of a baby. That's what we're seeing here in Genesis chapter one, verse 31. Like the uncorrupted nature of a fresh new baby, there is in creation this desire on God's part to give us beauty upon beauty, blessing upon blessing, fresh new creation that he has labored six very tough days to create on our behalf. If you notice in the text, this day, at the end of the sixth day, before his seventh day of rest, he says that things aren't just good as he did the five days before, but rather now things are very good. That word doesn't appear until here. The Hebrew word mod for very is akin to like utterly and completely finished it is the emphasis there in that word, and that it is good and very good, utterly good and complete. Creation here is in this place of innocence, long before hurricanes and tornadoes, yet, before war and poison gas and refugees, yet. There's no pollution, no rising sea levels, no ozone to worry about. Yet, there's no dust bowls, no rabid dogs, no Alzheimer's. Yet, Matthew Henry writes, creation was good. Good for all that's agreeable to the mind of the creator, just as he would have it to be. When the transcript came to be compared with the great original, it was found to be exact. No errata in it, not one misplaced stroke. Good, for it answers the end of its creation and is fit for the purpose for which it was designed. Good, for it is serviceable to people whom God had appointed lords of the visible creation. Good, for it is all for God's glory. I mean, friends, wouldn't it be great... To get back to such a state. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could rewind all the, well, I guess that's a term for VCR kind of people. Wouldn't it be great if you could take YouTube on your phone and and double click with your left thumb and go all the way back through human history and what we've done to each other? What we've done to other people groups, what we've done in our own households, if we could rewind and get all the way back. Heck, today, we just love to be out of pandemic, out of the racial tension, out of the political polarization and the economic uncertainty. Wouldn't it be amazing? Or, or is it just the, the foolish hopes of utopians? Utopians through the years we've read about that hope and dream and think that maybe we could get to such a state. <sighs> Well, it's when you get to today's New City Catechism question that questions begin to arise. Really? Really, is there such a good place where all such flourishing can happen? Is there a perfect place? CBS Sunday Morning is a great show. I love. I hate missing it being here, but I uh, don't record it. I, uh, not, um, what do I call it? Well, DVR, that's kinda late 2000s. Um, I do something so that I can watch it later. And the reporter last week set out to find the perfect place in America to live. He said, where is the perfect place with no natural disasters, with a great economy, with great schools and health care? He looked all over the place and he used weather maps to find where there is no flooding and no forest fires. He looked on maps to see where there were no earthquakes, the least amount of any kind of tornadoes. And you know what he found to be the perfect place in America to be? Not Orlando. Madison, Wisconsin. Not Madison, Icus, but Madison, Wisconsin, right? Like, who knew Madison, Wisconsin? Now, honestly, three and a half annual feet of snowfall is hell to me, but Madison, Wisconsin was what he said to be the perfect place. Is it really possible to get there, to get back to Eden? Well, the New... City Catechism is what we have been working through in this sermon series, and it's part of our desire to make sure that we are rooted squarely in Scripture and in the truths of our faith as our culture shifts quite radically in some ways around us. We need to be reminded if we're going to be culture makers, we need to know that to which we are pushing and making culture. And so these resources have been great. I encourage you to get this particular uh, book of the Q and A. It's, it's, it's kind of like old school Presbyterian Google. You ask a question and it gives you an answer. That's what catechisms were designed to do. This is the children's version, and our children's ministry has a number of these that are free for parents. You can also get the app on your phone that will bring up the question each day. You'll find a link for that in our weekly newsletter. Well, today's question number five could be a bit troublesome and I'll explain why. We recited just a moment ago, what else did God create? Now remember last week, Dr. Swanson preached on uh, creation uh, and in particularly the creation of humans that we carry the image of God, the Imago Dei. Well, now we're going on to the next question. Well, what else did God create? Answer that we said together, God created all things by his powerful word. And all his creation was very good. See how the writers of the catechism are keen to pick up that very, we see in Genesis 1.31. And then third, everything flourished under his rule. Everything flourished under his rule. Now, the flourish there is past tense. Notice that? Past tense. Today, um, I don't know that I could say everything flourishes per se. And this is where I wonder if somebody who was carrying a lot of trauma or, or living in the midst of suffering might come across this question number five and go, huh? Really? flourish under his rule. Well, my life isn't flourishing. My life has been hard and either God's not in control or he really doesn't exist. I could see someone saying that. We, we've got to remember and recognize if you're within sound of my voice, either here online or listening to this later, most of all of us have had it pretty good. Yes, there is suffering for sure, But we live at the pinnacle of human history with more resources than any before, and we are able to manage and push out some suffering. And so when it does come into our lives, we're we're a little unprepared. Keep in mind that most humans, for most of human history, have suffered deeply in just day-to-day living, getting water, finding a safe place to use the restroom, keeping the barbarians at bay. And so, we can sometimes get fooled. But a family I was with this week wasn't fooled about the realities of suffering. I met with a family, the wife's husband, the girl's dad, had committed suicide two weeks ago. And they were grieving deeply, understandably. Their world was not experiencing God's flourishing. It didn't feel very good to them. And at one point, the daughter looked square at me and she said, why did God allow this to happen to my dad? Mm. Well, friends, the good news of the gospel Is the same for her in her darkness on this very day as it is for all of us. I think you would agree with me. It's not fair to judge the whole of a baseball team by one inning and one game. Wouldn't you agree, Jack? The Astros are more than their scandal of cheating. Yes, I just had to say Astros scandal cheating and get it out here just for you. So (laughs) it would not be fair to judge one team on one moment, but rather to look at the whole big picture and better understand the context in which things are occurring. And so to get a better sense of Genesis 131 and question number five, I want to point you to my fantastic artwork abilities on the screen is I want to talk to you about creation's place in the four chapter gospel. Okay, now you've heard us using this term more and more and more as we pushing towards a missional church and creating missional disciples. We need all to understand our place in God's mission to the world. And so we have taken basically a methodology or a technique, if you will, to break down into four movements from God's mission from the very beginning of time, there on the left of your picture with the Garden of Eden, All the way to the end of time when Christ comes back and establishes his kingdom on earth, the New Jerusalem. You could even say this illustration shows cover to cover in the story of the Bible. We begin in Genesis 1 and 2 with the Garden of Eden. We end in Revelation 21 22 with this New Jerusalem. So these four movements are this number one, creation. It's what we're looking at today. Creation. Number two, If Tamis were here, our director of pastoral care, she would help me because whenever I get to the second chapter, she helps me say, dun, 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 the fall. Genesis chapter three, sin comes into the world. Sin breaks creation. Think of a broken arm. Oh, you might could still right just a little bit, but it is broken. It is far from its intended purposes. Its structure is to be strong and to work, but its direction when it's broken is so not what it could be. Then we move, though, immediately in chapter 3 of Genesis to the third chapter, the work of redemption, where God says, Adam and Eve, even though you have screwed up royally, woo! Dang it, I love you okay, I love you, so I'm gonna start redeeming and fixing this situation. I'm not gonna kill you as the promise was if you ate from the tree, you would die. Okay, I'm not gonna have you die. You're naked and ashamed. Isn't that the name of that TV show? Oh, that's no, I'm afraid. Well, I'm gonna make you clothes. I'm gonna sew for you clothes. I'm gonna put a flaming sword at the wall, at the door of the garden, so you can't get back in there and screw anything else up. And so his work of redemption begins right there in chapter three. A lot of times folks think that it's not until the cross with Jesus that his work of redemption begins. Well, look at the illustration. Clearly the cross is at the apex of time, at the turning point of time. Looking at the illustration. Come on guys. There we go. The cross is right there central But it is one of many steps of God's work of redemption. The story of the Old Testament leading up to the cross is where he reaches out through those things I've just mentioned and continues through the covenants with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through giving Moses the law. Think about that. He loves us so much, and we're living in such chaos, he says, you know what, let me give you the rules. If I give you the law, it can help you figure out how to do this. And then he gives us the prophets, Ah, oh, Thank you, Lord, for the prophets to tell us a new covenant is coming. That new covenant comes in Jesus, friends. Jesus teaches us how to live. He dies on the cross. He rises from the grave, and the ultimate work of redemption is accomplished. But it doesn't stop there. Go back to the illustration. It's on Pentecost that the Holy Spirit comes, and we have the birthday of the church. And therefore, friends, you and I are part of God's work of redemption. As you move down until the time of Jesus' return, see my little Jesus up there? He looks a little like Lion King. I didn't mean that. Yeah, you know, pre story case, don't worry about art. Um, notice where that X is. That's where I am today, February 7th, 2021. You and I are co laborers, we're a part of this redemption work with Him. Isn't that cool? He doesn't just sit back in his lazy boy and say, Hey, y'all figure it out. I'll be back in a couple of millennia. Neither does he get down on his hands and knees and say, Hey, go lay in the lazy boy. I'm going to keep scrubbing and working on this broken creation and fix things. No, no. He comes as the Holy Spirit and indwells us. And friends, that's your purpose. As a Christ follower, that's who we are as a fellowship of believers that we get to help bring about his redemption into this world. We get to tell the orphan and the widow, no, you are not alone. We get to help the poor find a job and the hungry to find food. We get to help bring about healing in broken marriages and to help teenagers who've gone awry to get back on the straight and narrow We get the opportunity to do even more and to bring about flourishing in this world through our work, through the arts, through those things that God calls us to shape as the kingdom of God breaks out in our families, breaks out in our neighborhoods, and in our workplaces. You and I are part of that redemptive work. And then that last fourth part of this gospel, friends, is God's mission of the world ends up in restoration, restoring to what? To Eden. To Eden getting us to that place of utopia. So yes, yes, it is our journey to get back to the beauty of this creation. And you know what? One day, even old crusty, let's see, who's crusty? Dennis. Even old crusty Dennis is going to be like that fresh new baby. And Lisa's going to look at him and go, oh, that friend's is God's mission to the world. And if you understand that, then you can understand the place of creation. And then those who are in the midst of great suffering can realize God's got a plan. He really is in control. And so the temporary sufferings are that temporary. The trauma that we carry can be healed. The New Testament says that we as his followers are called new creations ambassadors with him, co-laborers. And so those friends are intentional to see that we can help bring about his very good intent and purposes in this world. Friends, if you don't have a beginning with purpose or meaning, you don't know where you're going. If we're just slime that pulled up out of the swamp and we're just gonna become space ash again one day, then what's the point? Come on, let's party. Let's might make right and get all the goods that we can and let's get as much possible pleasure as we can because space ash is on the way. But even as I say that, I know some of you who have yet to confess faith in Christ. There's something in you going, that didn't feel good. That's not right. That we should just get all we can for ourselves and maximize our pleasure. Well, that, that check in the spirit is what Dr. Swanson spoke of last week, the image of God in you that says, oh, there is purpose and meaning in your beginning, and we are on a trajectory to a place of even greater purpose and meaning. Friends, this pandemic has thrown everybody a curveball, for sure. Everybody, a curveball. And yet, I appreciate how some will say, let us not waste a good crisis. Let us not be so moved and torn and taken by it that we don't see opportunity here for advancing God's mission in the midst of it. In fact, let us let crisis be an accelerator. I wonder if in 10, 20 years, we might look back on this very traumatic time and say, you know what? God used a bad, tough situation for his efforts and good. We've been pushing for two and a half years and going towards missional church and growing missional disciples. And this pandemic is going to help us to achieve that and reach it even more. For we're recognizing, but even because we have to, the activity of the Lord in our lives and in this community is not about this building. It's not just what happens in these pews, but it's what happens in your family. As you recognize your origins of good creation and purpose, and then you bring that into the present in this broken, fallen world, and you do as Jesus would have you to do in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. Now there are some who will try to take those four chapters and sometimes Christianity is all about chopping off number one and chopping off chapter four. They start with the fall. You're broken, you're sinful, you're not good. And they end at Revelation 29, come to Jesus or else there's going to be a lake of fire waiting for you. That Revelation 19. That's in Revelation 19. So they chop off good creation and they chop off restoration and they stick right there with chapter two and three. And as Andy Crouch says, friends, that misses the bigger purpose in the story. Because we have to be reminded that God loves us. He created us, and he glories in the beauty of his creation. He is saddened. He has righteous anger that is just for what's happened. But, ah, he is doing a great work of redemption and restoration to fix it. And you and I get to be a part of that. As we're a part of that out there, we first, though, friends make sure you don't skip the work of redemption and restoration in here. Because it's in here in the sinful, broken self where the fall is all the more real than any drives down OBT or through certain distressed communities here or in watching what goes on in the news. There is more fallenness and brokenness here. I know pandemic has been an accelerator for me in seeing the, the growing edges or honestly the unlovely edges in my role as a husband and as a father. A lot of time with kids will bring out those edges. Pandemic's been an accelerator for me in, in breaking an unhealthy rhythm of Busyness for busyness' sake rather than clarity over call and purpose. And I, I, since Labor Day, I've embraced some Sabbath practices that whew, so much more fulfilling that one day, yes, I can say, Lord, thank you for pandemic. I don't thank you for the suffering and the closed businesses and all the hard that came, but you woke me up in some ways. I needed to be awoken. As you go from here this day, friends, know that God loves you and thinks you're good. You're very, very good. He knows that we're all broken in some way. He's doing a work of redemption to bring you to him. And if you've yet to come to him, Maybe this message and this word now is inspiring or convicting. And why? Well, as we get later in the catechism, we'll begin to confess together. Because he's got a great place of restoration for us all to be one day. Let us pray.